Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Great to have you with us. Good morning. Come on in and pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Who's our faithful barista? That's Cam. That's Cam. Hi, Cam. Good morning. <laughs> I've often wondered if I'm supposed to like say my own name because you guys are like, I'm Dave and I'm Amanda. And then I'm like, am I supposed to say, hey, I'm Cam? I don't know. Sure. You can do that. <laughs> Sometimes. Much is allowed here in the cafe, Cam. Coming up this morning, relics of St. Padre Pio will be coming to this year's Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. And in just a few minutes, we'll be speaking with Vera Marie Calandra, the center's assistant manager and vice president, about her own amazing meeting with the saint, St. Padre Pio. Then at about 8.30, Beth Vanderkoy, the executive director of Greater Columbus Right to Life, will join us here in the cafe to tell us about this year's annual Row, Re- <laughs> Row Remembrance event happening this coming Monday, January 22nd, on the West Lawn of the Ohio State House. Row Remembrance. That's a hard one to say at first. Got to huh? slow down and get say all the sil- syllables out. <laughs> good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm pretty good this morning. Good. Can you start us with a prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for another day. Thank you for your goodness and your graces. Lord, you have asked us to follow you. So we ask for the grace to do just that. The grace to follow you in all ways. With all of our strength, with all of our powers. Lord, give us the grace to do so. Help us to rely on those that you have given us in our lives to do that. To be edified by them. To be humbled by them also ask for the intercession of all the saints who have you have given us as an example we pray for their intercession and we pray for mary's intercession because she is such a faithful mother that leads us to her son always we pray all this in jesus name amen amen father son holy spirit Amen. amen today is thursday amanda yeah that means last night <laughs> yes diggy with it that's right that's my volleyball stepped team onto name. the volleyball court that's right yeah um my team is so gracious because um they are they're very much helping me learn volleyball a little better and um yeah so we haven't won a game just yet but we're having a lot of fun and I got a great compliment last night. Okay. <laughs> um, one of my teammates said, hey, like you, this is the, your best game yet. I've been getting a lot more over the net. So, yeah, growing, having fun. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Camaraderie, teamwork. That's right. That's right. All the good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does the opposing team compliment you? Yeah, everyone's very good, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a fun time. There's... At least not yet. I haven't seen any, you know, bad team spirit or anything. So everyone's out there to have fun. Yeah. That is fantastic. Today, I think the gospel uh, is from 
Well, the gospel is from Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12, and I think it's a nice lead-in to our conversation this morning uh, that's coming up about the St. Padre Pio relics and uh, Vera Marie's story. So from uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12, Jesus withdrew toward the sea with his disciples. A large number of people followed him from Galilee and from Judea, hearing what he was doing. A large number of people came to him also from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, and from the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crush him. He had cured many, and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. And whenever unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. He warned them sternly not to make him known. The crowds pressed in. You know, I, I, I love the Gospel of Mark to pray Lexio with because there's so many details and you can really imagine the crowds and the noise and, you know, the enthusiasm that people had to get close. Mm -hmm. And what the gospel this morning is also saying is that they came from all over. Yeah. And they made a journey to see him and in their infirmities and in their weaknesses and their suffering, they, they trusted that what they had heard about Jesus was was true. Mm -hmm. And they made that effort to just get close to him so they could touch him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave, <clears throat> I was struck by that this morning as well. Uh, just the imagery of, of people flocking to, to him. Um, so much so that he asked for a boat so that they wouldn't crush him. And, and so that just makes me imagine, oh, crowds and crowds of people and, and with their hunger, hungering for the power of God to, to experience Jesus. Um, yeah, if we only had such fervor, right? Mm. Yeah, we, I mean, we're talking about Eucharistic revival. Right. Right? We believe in the real presence. That's right. Yeah. Let's get pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have so, we're, we're so blessed in this diocese to have so many opportunities to go to daily mass, to um, vibrant parishes and opportunities for Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. Let's show the same enthusiasm to get close to the Lord, mm -hmm. to see him, you know, to be in his presence. We should be thrilled. You know, yeah, we should be yeah. excited. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's good to remember also, okay, if, if that's not my disposition right now, that's okay. That's just an invitation to reignite that flame, whether it's doing a retreat or recommitting to mm -hmm. scripture or whatever it is, you know, getting back to mass and, and maybe educating yourself on what's really happening in the mass. And these are all ways to help us reignite that flame. Mm-hmm. The gift of the church, right? I mean, Christ himself gave us this church and all these opportunities, as you were saying, to go on retreat, to 
adore him, to attend mass, to have the sacrament of reconciliation mm -hmm. um, where healing takes place. Um, yeah, he's alive. That's right. Yeah. How about you, Cam? Anything stand out for you? I think I'd echo what Amanda was saying about just, oh, how I would have that fervor, Lord, to press in upon you and to, like, you know, make it so important that I'm fighting my way through the crowd just to get close to you, Lord. And not, like, not ever in a way that's pushing the other people aside because I don't like them, but because I so like you, Lord. I so love you, Lord, that I want to be near to you. I was just sitting with that as you guys were having a conversation of, mm, I, I desire to have that heart more and more every day. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to speak with uh, Vera Marie Calandra. She's the assistant manager and the vice president of the National Center of Padre Pio. And she's going to be with us in just a couple minutes to talk about her own personal encounter with St. Padre Pio. I've heard this story, friends. Take this opportunity in the next minute or two to call or text your friends and have them listen in to this great story. Be right back. Heavenly Father, today I pray for our suffering nation, that you would raise up godly leaders with hearts and minds open to your truth. I pray for our government leaders, our military, and our first responders. I beg that in your mercy you would replace division with unity, hatred with love, evil with purity, chaos with peace. Most of all, I pray that the knowledge of your goodness and sovereignty will spread across this nation, setting hearts afire. But I also humbly recognize that I play an important part of that process in the way I treat every person you send my way. Therefore, Lord, open my eyes and heart and let me not be blinded by my own understanding. When I am tempted to take an us-against-them viewpoint, help me, rather, to see each person as a precious son or daughter of God. And then, Lord, give me the grace to love that person as you do. You have created me for such a time as this, Lord, and I am ready to do your will. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of kindness is seen in St. Martin de Porres. He lived kindness heroically by expressing genuine concern for the well-being of others, anticipating their needs. Martin was a lay Dominican brother who did much of the hard manual work around the friary. He cared for the sick with great kindness open an orphanage for children and slaves. He especially cared for the sick and forgotten. Let us ask St. Martin de Porres to pray for us, that we too may grow in kindness. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. 
Hey friends, welcome back to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn. That's Cam Clutter. And right now we're thrilled to welcome Vera Marie Calandra, who's the assistant manager and vice president of the National Center of Padre Pio here into the St. Gabriel Cafe. Good morning, Vera Marie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're thrilled. Uh, I was uh, actually here in the studio when you did uh, a recent interview with Michelle Fanley and Emily Jaminette about your story. And I wanted to, uh, when I heard that, I, I'm like, we have to share it with our cafe friends. Yeah. So thanks for being with us. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about the, uh, the National Center that, um, that you're a part of, but let's start with your story. It's a fascinating and, and beautiful story of love and healing. And so start us off. Surely. Uh, thank you again. <clears throat> when I was born uh, back in 1966, it was with massive urinary tract defects. And around 1968, um, my bladder had to be removed. After many operations, the doctors down at Children's Hospital, as they told my parents, were just basically keeping me comfortable and to the last hope was to remove the bladder for more of a comfort level and to see how things would go after that because of course as they said she's not going to live with a bla- without a bladder so and you were in eastern pennsylvania new jersey area no we were in the we're originally from norristown pennsylvania oh okay and our closest hospital the best hospital was and still is Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Got it. So that is where I was. Mm-hmm. So I would say about 1966, 67, mom was given a book on Padre Pio. And at that time, she didn't need Padre Pio in her life because things were going, was prior to my birth, uh, things were going well, everything was good. But then when things got worse with me and, you know, I came along with the bladder needing to be removed, we have many, many saints in our um, Philadelphia area, uh, John Newman, St. Rita, Miraculous Medal. So, of course, Mom and Dad were hitting all the local shrines in prayer and in hope that things would turn around. Things were not working out that well with the, shall we say, the local saints. <laughs> so right. Mom went back to that book that was given to her on Padre Pio, and she she felt a very... A, a calling, an interior calling, as she described it, of bring your little girl to me quickly and do not delay. Wow. And with that, she talked to, you know, dad, I'm one of six children. And around that time, my the youngest child was born, my sister Christina. She was about two weeks old at the time. <laughs> she was born July of 68. And mom, of course, she said, you know, this is what she felt this calling to go to Padre Pio. She didn't understand why. She didn't know why. But she just felt it was something that she must do in a last-ditch effort to to save her child. The doctor said to go home, make her comfortable, um, basically get, you know, be in touch with your undertaker because <sighs> there's no coming back from this situation. With that, mom did... She decided to to go over to Italy to search out this friar that she felt was calling her with knowing 
no English, never traveled outside of the United States at that time. And she made her way to Italy with myself, my uh, youngest, this, this, the newborn, Christina, uh, my older brother, and suitcases, and we were off. And as she says, you know, back then, pampers were not a thing, so there was 11 suitcases that, you know, a single adult was traveling with over to Europe. I can't imagine. Mm-mm. No, and a lot of people say that, well, how did you do it? And then when you understand more of Padre Pio's calling her, he helped her throughout the, throughout the journey. He, he totally helped her throughout the journey. So she made her, her way to San Giovanni after arriving in Rome. It was find a taxi or more than one with all that luggage to the train station. The train station took us to Foggia. Foggia was the bottom of the mountain of San Giovanni Rotondo. Again, another taxi up the mountain, and she found herself in front of the monastery, simply knocking on the door and saying, I want to see Padre Pio. He called me here. <laughs> and it's not like you were the only person showing up. Or no, the only there group were showing tens up. of thousands of people that Padre Pio's masses were always jam-packed. His masses started between 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and you really couldn't get a room, I'm sorry, get a pew um, to go and sit. And at that time, as Mom said, Padre Pio's mass was by lottery to really to get in. That's how crowded they were. And once, you know, the tickets were done, there was no more getting into the mass. So there so you all the, were, standing at the door. Padre Pio called us. <laughs> I wonder how you were received. Yes, exactly. And that's what she was just like, you know, well, how come he's not waiting for me was her feeling. <laughs> right. You know, she called me, well, where is he? And because this was all completely new to her, mm-hmm. totally new to her. So she was told to, to go into Mass, and then after Mass, they were told to line up in a corridor and wait for Padre Pio, and he will be wheeled through. Now, again, she didn't know, like, when he was born or how old he was, and she was not expecting to see such an old, frail friar mm. being wheeled down the corridor. They were told to, to kneel and wait for Padre Pio, and they did so. And the first time, and it was not just her. There was both sides of the corridor were full of people. He was wheeled through, and he didn't really stop. It was just like a slow, and then wheel him through, and then that's it. So she was not very pleased with that meeting for such a calling and such an urgent calling to go there that she went back the next morning to speak with the friar and to say, you know, but he called me here. At that time, we were all sick. And what does he want of me? Simply, what does he want? And I always say, you know, Mom, we're Italian. Had her Italian up, so to speak. (laughs) So she was ready to say, you know, come on. Like, what's going on? What do you want? You called me here. This was urgent. The infant was sick. Mom was sick. Everyone was actually very sick at that point. Mm -hmm. So again, she was told to come back the the next day, went back again, and she just, She said she was in the last pew standing, and she's just opened her heart. What do you want? We are all sick now. 
what do you want of me? Again, the corridor, and she said, this time, that wheelchair better stop, you know, and, <laughs> and, and I'm just going to let him how I feel. Let him know how I feel. You know, just let him have it, so to speak. <laughs> the next, uh, after that, went into the corridor, the same thing. The wheelchair went through, and at that moment, the wheelchair stopped in front of mom. Hmm. And it does. It always makes me very sentimental for her, her love and her strength and her blind faith, truly, that made her made that, make that pilgrimage not knowing what was waiting for her on the other side of the ocean. And with this, the, their eyes met, and she says, our eyes locked, and she spoke with him through her heart. And her words were, make a miracle so that all will believe. And at that moment, he took his hand with the wound on it, his gloved hand, pushed it up into her face, and she was able to kiss the back of his hand. He blessed all of us, touched my brother, touched myself, and touched the infant on the head. And his wheelchair just left. The next morning, on the plane, back to America, as she said, it was the first thing that you ate in two years. Two and a half years. I was two and a half years old at that time. She said it was the first solid food that you ate. You asked for a hamburger. And she said then she felt that something good had happened. Dr. Coop said if she's alive when you bring her back, bring her in for further testing. A few weeks after we got home, on the news was the announcement that Padre Pio had died. Just a matter of weeks. Then it made all, it all came together for her, his urgent request of her to go there because he knew he was dying. Mm. Of course, she did not know. A few weeks after that, went back to the hospital and did x-rays and whatnot, and the doctor simply said, we don't know what you're doing, keep doing it, because where we remove the bladder, there is a rudimentary bladder and organs do not grow back. And that was the grace. The grace that was received, and in May of 1969, mom, dad, myself, and a few of the siblings went back to Italy to thank Padre Pio. And that is when her journey began. And that's still the work that continues today. It grew from a kitchen table with prayer cards from the friars to spending summers there, learning about Padre Pio, helping the friars to acknowledge the thousands of letters that were coming um, to them with, with requests for, you know, pamphlets and whatnot. Mom and Dad learned Italian. We taught English to the friars, and Mom started her extensive traveling in about 1970, with the, one of the friars who took care of Padre Pio for the last eight to ten years of his life, Father uh, Father Alessio Parente. Hmm. And it grew, like I said, from a kitchen table. Our original um, location up here was a barn until we are in the location that we're at now. 
Mm-hmm. We're speaking with. Uh, yep, yeah, we're speaking with uh, Vera Marie Calandra, the assistant manager and vice president of the National Center for, or of Padre Pio. Uh, uh, Vera Marie sharing her just incredible encounter with uh, with Padre Pio. I, I, I mean, the, your your healing is. I mean, miraculous. miraculous. <laughs> but in, in the time frame that all of this happened, um, and, and the urgency that you expressed, and thank God that your mom was uh, docile mm-hmm. enough to and obedient to the prompting that she had to make things happen. That's yeah, incredible. You're absolutely correct in that because if she did not. Heed his request. I obviously I don't think things would have gone turned out the way they have. <clears throat> but as the friars had once said, that as soon as she said yes to his request, basically the grace had already begun because she said yes. Mm-hmm. So this and, is late sixties, early seventies. When when was Padre Pio beatified? He was beatified May 2nd of 1999. Okay. And your family was also a part of his beatification, correct? Yes, because of the the extensive work that Mom had done, going back and forth to Italy, bringing Padre Pio to America, starting many prayer groups with Father Alessio throughout the U.S. Mom was asked to, and given the, the honor, of saying the first reading at the Mass, at the Beatification Mass on May 2nd. Wow. She actually had met uh, Pope St. John Paul on many, many occasions. They knew each other by name. And actually, when Mom passed away, um, Pope St. John Paul's personal secretary that Mom and Dad knew very well uh, sent a condolence note to Dad. Hmm. That's beautiful. I was reading... uh some of uh, St. John Paul II's words at the canonization for Padre Pio. And in that homily, uh, he shared his encounter with uh, St. Padre mm-hmm. Pio in the confessional. Correct. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, uh, Vera Marie, the prayer groups. I know in Padre Pio's life, the formation of these prayer groups uh, throughout Italy and around the world were were a big part of the devotion and uh, just the prayer life uh, around Padre Pio. Can you tell us more about the prayer groups? Yes, they were started back when Padre Pio was alive. Uh, they're run now by the hospital, and it was. It was to keep devotion, especially to Our Lady. Um, Padre Pio was also very devoted to Our Lady of Fatima. So we have the, the first Saturday devotions at the center every first Saturday. Uh, the prayer groups, they, are, they were. They were to teach people, and that's what Mom did. We had one of the first ones in Norristown, and like I said, we went back and forth to Italy many, many, many times a year uh, to, bring, to bring stories back, to bring information back, to feed the people, truly to feed the people Padre Pio, teach them about Padre Pio and his life and his mission. You had mentioned uh, Our Lady of Fatima. There's a story, isn't there, with uh, Padre Pio and a statue of Our Lady of Fatima? Yes, the original Our Lady of Fatima statue from Portugal, from Fatima, 
was traveling uh, through Europe, and Padre Pio was very, very sick at the time, and it was suspended from a helicopter. And Padre Pio, of course, went to the window, like all the other friars and Italians, to wave the handkerchief to greet Our Lady. <clears throat> and it made a circle, like, around the hospital, which is very close to the friary in San Giovanni, and in the piazza, and then it took off. And all at once, Padre Pio just asked Our Lady. I believe he had bronchitis or something in his chest. Padre Pio was always very, very sickly. And he said, you came and I'm sick, and you're leaving, and you're leaving me sick. Mm. And without hesitation, the pilot could not answer. The helicopter made a complete circle, went back in front of Padre Pio with Our Lady, <laughs> and Padre Pio was cured. Yeah, I love this. Love this. <laughs> Vera Marie Calandra, the uh, assistant manager and vice president of the National Center of Padre Pio, uh, Vera Marie, you're bringing relics from the center to the women's conference here. Yes, we are. Um, it will be a glove of Padre Pio's. And uh, with other information and books, again, we're teaching more about Padre Pio, getting back out there. Uh, we get a lot of visitors to the center. The majority of the relics, though, are at the museum in at the National Center for Padre Pio. Uh, we have various, um, how can I say, a beautiful cloth that is covered in blood from Padre Pio's side wound, one of his night shirts, bandages, and everything that you do see in the museum is true, authentic belongings of Padre Pio's. Hmm. So yes, I believe it will be a glove that will be coming out to the conference. And what, how should the women at the conference uh, approach the relics? I mean, what's, what's your prayer for the, for the women that will be at the conference? And just um, what should their prayer be as they, as they approach these relics? Uh, you know, that's a very interesting question because a lot of people that come to the center, some of them just come out of curiosity or the story of the family piqued their interest. But they always ask, well, what do we do when we come and how long do we stay and you know is there something and i always tell them you're not going to know really until you come it's really what you're coming with on your heart and then they'll call and they'll say you know i didn't know so and so had cancer and i ended up going for them in pilgrimage and didn't even know it mm. So you really don't know until you get there and how our Lord and Padre Pio moves you. For, for our friends that are listening, um, talk a little bit about relics for, for, for our friends that may not be familiar with uh, uh, sure. the Catholic devotion to relics. Sure. Um, there's three classes of relics. Of course, first is, is body. Second is belonging. And third is anything touched to first or second. And that is just simply the classification of relics. Mm -hmm. The relics um, do come from, uh, if it's an order priest or nun, then it, they come from the order. And they are to be treated most reverently, um, gently, delicately, respectfully. But as we were also taught by the friars, 
and they made it quite clear. The relics do not have ours to them. It is up to God, and it's all according to God's will. Does it bring them comfort touching something of a saint? Of course it does, absolutely. But it's not that the relics hold any special special powers. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to put it. Fantastic. Vera Marie Calandra uh, with the National Center of Padre Pio, online at padrepio.org. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your story with us, uh, Vera Marie. Uh, just miraculous, marvelous story. Thank you, and I hope that um, that maybe someday in the future you will come out to visit us as well. We would love to. Will you also be at the women's conference with the relics? No, I will not be out there. Okay, I will not be. Mm-hmm. Then yes, hopefully another time. Then yeah, we'll come visit you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Vera Marie Calandra, the assistant manager and vice president of the National Center of Padre Pio. Looks like an outstanding place to make a pilgrimage to padrepio.org coming up next we're going to be joined by beth vanderkoy executive director of greater columbus right to life to tell us about this year's annual row remembrance event happening on monday stay with us O good Jesus, you are the Most High God, everlasting and always living. You have shown us the way to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. We implore thy most sacred heart to have mercy on us in this time of need. Bless and protect the vulnerable. Give hope to all and fill our hearts with confidence in your divine mercy. Be our joy in the midst of suffering and our stability in the midst of uncertainty. Your forgiveness we seek, your love we need your protection we implore. Forgive our sins and heal our wounds. Strengthen any weakness of faith and make us strong so as to give witness to your glory. Keep far from us any illness, pestilence, or harm. You are our refuge. You are our comfort. You are our hope. Through the intercession of Our Lady, health of the sick, we come to your most sacred heart and beseech your protection and blessing. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen. When I was in college, I ended up having a lot of questions about my faith, and I ended up leaving the church. After a series of personal tragedies, I really felt a need to come home to a church, and that's when I came back to the Catholic Church. I never realized before that we get, at every Mass, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, and the Gospel. I never realized before, it's all biblically based. The Catholic Church is based on the Bible. This is the church that Christ started, and we practice all the sacraments as He gave them to us, and I think that's important. I um, love getting up and going to church. I love going to Mass. I feel like I get to go to Mass, not like I have to go to Mass. The joy, I have joy in my spirit, I have a lightness in my spirit that I haven't had before. I love the Catholic Church with all my heart, and I can't imagine my life without it. My life is totally different now. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. If there's one thing atheists and theists can agree on, it's the fact that we've all felt the problem of God's hiddenness and have cried out, where are you, God? The difference, however, is atheists think this is a reason to reject God and theists don't. Why? Well, first, God is not entirely hidden. 
Sure, we can't know he exists by seeing or touching him, but we can know he exists through logic and reason. There's also good reason to believe God has revealed himself through Jesus of Nazareth. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then everything he said is true. Second, God's in-your-face presence wouldn't necessarily make things better. Even on the natural level, we don't like overbearing parents. Why would we want God to be that way? So while God's partial hiddenness is a mystery, it's not a good reason to embrace atheism. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and joining us now in the cafe, Beth Vanderkoy. Good morning, Beth. Good, good morning. M- yeah, good morning, everyone. Executive Director of Greater Columbus Right to Life, and we're talking the March for Life and the Row Remembrance event coming up on Monday. So a lot of folks heading out to D.C. I saw the bus at St. Patrick's leaving yesterday afternoon. They're on their way out there. Well, they better be there by now. Um, by, I, I think I heard about 300 students from the diocese heading out. Um, a number of uh, schools are sending yes, folks out. Yes, I, I spoke with Sister John Paul about a week and a half ago, and I think she told me they were up to over 300 students who are making the trip. And, you know, really kind of continuing the theme from your last segment, uh, I, I think something that's really neat is that Bishop Fernandez this year is putting a lot of emphasis. You know, this isn't just a day off of school. This is a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, you know, they're going to the religious sites. They're going to the holy sites. They're going to the historical and the political sites. And, you know, I think that's a really great way to to think about doing something like the March for Life, or if you can't get out to DC, certainly by all means, I hope we have a tremendous showing on Monday for the Roe Remembrance at the State House. Our coverage uh, on St. Gabriel Radio will kick off tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. with the closing mass of the National Prayer Vigil for Life. Our very own Bishop Fernandez will be the celebrant and homilist of this mass. That's tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We'll be carrying it live. So, folks, this is our last show of the week. No cafe tomorrow, but we'll be right there uh, participating with uh, Bishop and the thousands of folks at the closing mass of the National Prayer Vigil. That is at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then immediately after the mass, EWTN's coverage of the March for Life begins at about 9.30 and continues until the afternoon. So that's tomorrow. And you've been to the march a number of times. Believe it or not, this is actually a hilarious story. I've actually never been to D.C., Really? Well, hold hold that thought because this is shocking and um, I'm including that this year. But keep in mind, so as long as I've been involved here with Greater Columbus Right to Life, mm. I've really been in charge of the event we hold, the Roe Remembrance, mm-hmm. which for the majority of the last 50 years has been an alternative for those who can't make it out to D.C. Right. So it's really only been in the last three or four years that those events have been separated Okay. Um, we hold our event on the 22nd, kind of concurrently with the Respect Life Mass here in town. And so un- until about 2020, uh, those events were happening at the same time. So I could never be there. And then 2020 hit and, you know, there was some 
schedule disruption for the pandemic. And it's just so happened that I have had something here that I needed to be at. And I thought I was going to be able to make it this year. I was going to fly in and then fly out and it just didn't end up working out. Um, but I, I think that's true of an awful lot of you know, for an awful sure. lot of people. And I, I tell, I tell folks, I have an, I have a tremendous amount of opportunity to do pro-life work here in the community. Uh, and so, you know, that's something I think we need to be really mindful of that it, just because you can't make it out to DC doesn't mean you can't do something. That you can't do something. That's right. And we're going to be carrying, you mentioned uh, Beth, Beth Vandercoy, the executive director of Greater Columbus Right to Life. Monday morning at 1030 is the annual Respect Life Mass from St. Joseph Cathedral. And we'll be carrying that live here on St. Gabriel. Oh, wonderful. You know, I get so many calls asking if that will be happening. And, you know, we're very privileged. We, we hold that. And then there's a bit of a mini procession, so to speak, from the cathedral where, you know, for the last uh, 50 years in various forms, we have had a March for Life or an Event for Life. We now call it a Row Remembrance. It's a bit more of a, a rally at the state house. It's hard for me to say. So if that has any impact on what you call the event. <laughs> So. Row remembrance. Row. Well, well, <laughs> you, you remember, right? right. Mm -hmm. So you remember row. Yeah, and we really have three purposes <laughs> in the event. So the first is really to remember those lives that have been lost to abortion and those lives that have been wounded by abortion, particularly in the last year. Uh, so that's the first purpose. It's kind of why we call it the remembrance. Mm. Uh, the second purpose for the event is really to kind of bring together that pro-life unity and that, uh, that, you know, that kind of standing up and standing, pushing back against the culture, particularly at the seat of government in the state of Ohio here. And then the third purpose and the third thing that we always try to imbue within that is to, you know, get people excited and energized for the year to come. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, sometimes doing pro-life work can be, you know, a, a little solitary feeling. And certainly, you know, particularly after a year like 2023, uh, it was a tough year for the pro-life movement within the state of Ohio. But but really to remind people that, you know, we're, we're not doing this for temporary political gain and, uh, and that the work truly continues and that there is such joy within the pro-life movement itself. Mm. With um, abortion being a part of the Ohio Constitution now, what what is happening on the political level? Or um, it, it, it seems like that is a real difficult situation, as with it being a part of the Constitution. Well, you know, certainly the outcome in November was not what we expected. And I think that a lot of people still fundamentally misunderstood what they were voting on. Mm -hmm. But I, I think we also need to acknowledge that in kind of political terms, we took what they sometimes uh, colloquial call a shellacking. We took a shellacking at the polls. Nearly, you know, 57% of Ohioans voted to enshrine abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, taxpayer-funded, uh, elimination of parental rights, and wiping out of, uh, you know, health and safety standards. And this is what we put into the Constitution. And now we're in a little bit of almost, I would say, a limbo. Mm -hmm. because Politically. Yeah, p politically. Yeah. 
because we're kind of waiting and seeing. Because with a constitutional amendment, uh, there's really three ways that it could happen. The first way uh, is that there could be enabling legislation. Uh, given the current makeup of the General Assembly, that's not going to hold water, right? Now, we know kind of what they, their goals are because a, a few lawmakers have introduced some proposals uh, that do exactly what we said they would do. Um, but so that's one way, probably not going to move forward. Uh, a second thing that could happen is there could be a series of lawsuits and litigation where the courts interpret and enforce. And certainly within that process, both the pro-life organizations and faith-based organizations through the legal process are going to do everything that we can to hold our own and defend our existing laws. Uh, and then the third way, because by the nature of this being a so-called self-executing amendment, uh, the abortion providers could just simply stop providing the following the laws on the books, assert a constitutional right uh, and act. And so we're, we're kind of in a wait and see moment, mm -hmm. you know, how much of Ohio's protective laws can we, you know, buttress with uh, sometimes novel legal theories. Um, but then also, what can we continue to do here on the ground? Right. So just because that front of the war um, has a lot of question marks around it doesn't mean that nothing else happens. Right. You know, my, my board of trustees, we're sitting down and we're, we're really trying to think through and envision what greater Columbus right to life looks like in a post article one, section 22, or a post issue one world. And, and by that, I mean, and this is something I would really love people to think about and take to prayer. So for example, one of the programs that we are highly engaged in is our sidewalk counseling, our 40 days for life. Yes. Now, what happens to a program like that when there are no more abortion clinics? And I don't mean no more abortion clinics because abortion is gone. I mean, right now we have two locations in Columbus, in central Ohio, where abortions are happening. But what does pro-life witness and sidewalk counseling and ministry look like when every doctor's office, every ambulatory surgical facility, and every retail pharmacy suddenly has the capacity to be an abortion clinic? That's staggering. Uh, Beth Vanderkoy, the executive director of Greater Columbus Right to Life, is here with us in the cafe. That's staggering. So any medical practice or facility, pharmacy can be involved if they choose. Well, in theory, certainly. I mean, if, if you all remember maybe a year ago, the Biden administration approved that the abortion pill could be provided through what's known as a retail pharmacy. This would be your CVS, your Rite Aid, your corner pharmacy, you know, your grocery store pharmacy. And that had been blocked in Ohio and a small number of other states because of our laws saying that, you know, the abortion pill could only be provided by a licensed doctor. Uh, but, but that goes away. And, mm -hmm. and it's more than that. I mean, how far will they take it? How far will their litigation take it? So does this mean every school nurse or every public school nurse is going to be compelled to distribute the abortion pill? You know, I, I think these are things that we are going to be wrestling with. And, you know, not, not to mention every post office box. And so, you know, some of what we have been doing kind of in this quiet time um, post-election is figuring out how we are going, you know, how we are going to respond in this, in this world. Mm. 
because we know that there's hope there. Well, there's there's absolutely there, and, and a lot of opportunities to share the gospel and, and to promote the dignity of life. But I think we're going to have to be more intentional and bold about um, acting on those opportunities and just don't let the conversation or that that opportunity pass. Right. Well, one thing that we're doing is we have started a new campaign and we're calling it the Love Always Wins campaign. Uh, you know, kind of drawing into mind that language of Corinthians and a reminder that love always wins. Um, but sometimes it needs a little help. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to, you know, start releasing. We have, for example, yard sign. If you still have your issue one yard sign or any 26 inch yard sign, we're almost in primary season. So there's going to be plenty of yard signs, folks. Um, you know, we have replacement covers. We're going to bring, we have some here that people can pick up. They can stop in our office, get them through their church. Good. And they, they just proclaim the message that love always wins. And it directs people to a website. And the website is really simple, whether you need help. So perhaps, uh, you know, w- one link on the website will invite people to go to Heartbeat International and Option Line, where the, you know, the vast network of pregnancy help centers. Uh, one link will direct people to post-abortion healing, which is something I think we're going to have to develop and grow. Uh, and then, you know, one link is, you know, what do you do if you want to help? Like, what if you want to be that person who helps? Hmm. Uh, because the, the the solution to the problem of abortion always comes in the form of a relationship. It comes on that one-on-one person who's willing to step out and be a difference. And of course, it comes in our, our relationship with God. And that's, again, it's always a deeply personal invitation to be pro-life. We had a conversation yesterday in the cafe with uh, Kelly Henderson and Mark Huddy on the um, the Catholic Church's uh, teaching on um on uh, uh, social justice mm-hmm. and that point was made over and over again to it. it it is having that relationship having um love of neighbor love of god love of neighbor drives everything that we do as christians and i think we're going to see just in um, relation to abortion and pro-life activities we're casting a wide net now I mean, not that they, not that we weren't before, but now we're able to express this love as we do on, um, you know, uh, caring for the mothers after birth, you know, making sure that they have the diapers, that they have formula, that they have clothing. It's it's an opportunity for us to express how we love the person. Mm-hmm. Well, it it absolutely is. And I, and I think this is why I've reminded the people of Central Ohio continually over the last decade, we have nearly halved the number of, of abortions that are happening here. Mm-hmm. And that did not happen because of one particular law. Um, it happened because of the pro-life community coming together. And we came together. Uh, we really are, have been doing in Central Ohio what you know the bishop's model through walking a program called walking with moms in need Mm. and Mm -hmm. you know your your parish probably has some element of walking with moms in need and can probably use a little bit more help but that's what we've already been doing you know when we're regularly connecting with the tremendous work that the pregnancy centers do you know when we add in the elements of post-abortion healing and then also when we you know we realize that there are 
you know, deep spiritual needs, but also there are material needs. You know, a, a phone call that I get and one of the trickiest things I think we're going to need to wrap our, our hands around or our arms around is a matter of maternal housing, maternity type housing, yeah. a place for a pregnant woman to go. And I've done a little bit of work with a, an organization here locally that helps uh, young people who have aged out of the foster care system. And, you know, we, we had a young mom who went into preterm labor, baby was in the NICU, and, you know, she had, she had no support to fall mm -hmm. back on. And I think for a lot of us, even if we have challenging relationships with family members, you know, just putting ourselves in the space of somebody who has no family to fall back upon and, you know, how that can kind of lead them down a path um, that is not good for them and not good for their baby. And so what we can do to embrace those folks and show them, you know, uh, what I think, you know, for many years we've talked about in terms of theology of the body. And, you know, I know we're also talking a little bit more about terms like Christian or Catholic anthropology, for example. Um, but, you know, how we can truly become a church that and a people that explain, you know, we're not just saying no to all of this fun stuff out there. You know, we're not just saying uh, fun to sex, drugs and rock and roll, but we're saying yes to a beautiful concept of life and love and, you know, this this tremendous uh, gift that we have been given by God and mm. what that means and how we internalize that in, in a chaotic and broken world. Beth Vanderkoy, Executive Director of Greater Columbus Right to Life here in the cafe. And we're talking about what's next in the pro-life movement, how we can love each other and promote, um, yeah, love always wins. And make sure that people know uh, that there is a path forward, that there is hope. And really what, what, I've, what I've taken from this, Beth, is there's not new activities per se but i mean it's it's really continuing on what we've been doing for the last 50 years um, putting more resources to it perhaps doing it better in some areas but continuing on and just not there's no reason to step to the sidelines no and in fact there's every reason to step forward um, you know, I'm hoping that we have a tremendous turnout on Monday for a couple of reasons. One, I think we need that as a pro-life movement. I think we need to be surrounded by other pro-life people and to be reminded that we're not alone. But I'm not going to lie. I think we also need to stand up and show the world and show the state house and show the reporters that we may have we may have experienced defeat, but we are not defeated. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, bundle up, come on out. You know, join Bishop Fernandez for a beautiful mass. It's always a beautiful and packed mass. And then come down to the state house for 30, bundle up. We're going to be outside this year. Um, uh, there's some renovations going on inside the state house. So we're going to be outside, but it's going to warm up. Uh, and it's going to be a balmy 40 degrees after what we've experienced this well, past week. Well, there you week. go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so come out and, and be counted. But then, you know, don't let this be your one pro-life thing you do this year. You know, don't let the March for Life be the only thing that you do. You know, but let it really be something that 
that, you know, guides your work for the upcoming year and gives you hope and gives you inspiration uh, because we're, we're going to have to take back the culture. And when I was at Farm Bureau, I had a colleague who always said, uh, he said, you know, there ain't no sil- such thing as a silver bullet, but there's an awful lot of silver buckshot. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's what, that's the world that we're in now. We just, mm-hmm. we, we just need to put everything we've got out there and, you know, maybe throw a little spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Um, but, but we're very, very resolved. And a couple of days after the election, I got a note from Governor DeWine. And he said, you know, I, I don't think this is our last stab at this. This issue will be back on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And the question is, will we be prepared? Right. Amen. So, friends, our... March for Life coverage tomorrow begins at 8 a.m. with the closing mass of the National Prayer Vigil for Life from the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., followed immediately by March for Life coverage um, on EWTN until probably mid-afternoon. And then on Monday, Beth Vanderkoy, Executive Director of Greater Columbus Right to Life, Mondays begins with Mass at the St. Joseph Cathedral at 1030, and then a short procession immediately after. Some might call it a walk. A walk. A walk. A jaunt. A jaunt. (laughs) The Row Remembrance jaunt. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the meander, even. And to the best of my knowledge, I, our event will not be carried live. So the only opportunity you will have to hear those additional words of wisdom from me and some great leaders uh, will be if you show up in person. Okay. Okay. And that's Monday, January 22nd. So friends, uh, bundle up, get out there, show support. Um, then on January 23rd, how do people stay involved? Well, they can give me a call. Uh, we can get you hooked in to volunteer. You know, if you've got some ideas, you know, there are so many opportunities. You know, touch base with your parish respect life group. If you mm-hmm. don't have one, you know, reach out to Mark and Jerry at the diocese about yeah. getting one started. Good. Beth Vanderkoy, thanks for being with us here in the cafe. Always a pleasure. God bless we'll you. We'll see you soon. God bless you. Row Remembrance event coming up Monday begins with the Respect Life Mass at St. Joseph Cathedral at 1030 and then a jaunt over to the State House. So thank you, Beth. And then tomorrow, don't forget our live coverage of the March for Life from Washington, D.C. begins at 8 a.m. Uh, Bishop Earl K. Fernandez will be the Mass celebrant and the homilist. So lots coming up. Coming up on Monday... On the St. Gabriel Cafe, Peggy and Mike Hartshorn will be with us for the entire hour. Amanda, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you on Monday.
your local Catholic radio station, WVSG Columbus, St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM 820.